I know now what I want to say in my intro for my podcast. I'm going to start with a warning to other creatives. Create like it's your last podcast, last graphic, last painting, last blog post. There's so many forces out there that want us to be bland, and that is not possible with this fro. I have too many thoughts about celebrating us, reading what I want to read, pointing out donkeys, what links us together and shouldn't tear us apart. I also give you bonus content through Ten Fro's Bar on my Patreon and if you become a melanated nerd. I also will share content about getting the real tea on reality TV. Join me in this episode of Tim Fro is reading for the wild ride. And thank you for listening. That air horn always makes me laugh, but I don't mean or always mean to toot my own horn, but the journey to success for indie podcaster is very, it's a combination of hustle. What exactly are you selling? For whom? And in the past few months, there's been a dearth of podcasts or ads placed in my podcast, but I've recently, since the feed itself has been refreshed on Podbeam, you're going to hear some really dope advertisements from everything from tires to NASCAR, which I think is just so awesome that me as a fan, now they're actually, I'm getting their ads inserted into my podcast. Um, I also love the fact that I still am increasing my downloads, increasing um, dedicated repeat listeners, um, and I'm getting some really dope reviews on Apple. Uh, personal growth on steroids, uplifting conversations for positive change. These are five-star reviews from my podcast stands. Um, Discovering the power within, making complex concepts easy to understand is a valuable resource for personal development. That's what I want to do. Nurturing your body and your soul, igniting passion and purpose, a podcast oasis for growth seekers, guiding you towards a purposeful life. So that's what my whole goal is, not just with the longer format, but also with the bonus content, which I call bonus content. I'm hoping that it would just give people that creative edge, that encouragement to basically seek knowledge, seek positivity, I mean, come on, 226,000 downloads later. I mean, it can't be wrong. So different. I am over 200,000 downloads from where I was next last year. My intent is to get 200,000 more. I This still, even four years out, is still relatively new in the podcast game. I'm trying to do whatever I can from editing uh, to writing letters to going live in some places, um, hopefully as soon as I get my RV back, that is, uh, and making it more visible um, to the local 
people enhancing my guests, getting people up here that's going to give people the advice and the encouragement they need and continuing to provide that service to my listeners. Um, you guys are awesome. Thank you for listening. Keep leaving five-star reviews. I'll read them on air, especially if they're not too trolly. And don't forget, if you would like to, drop me a line at tenfroisreading at gmail.com. If your message is not too trolly, again, I will read it on air. And as always, thank you for listening. My gratitude is to matchmaker.fm, the online platonic uh, collaboration or connections for creatives. Um, I'm glad for them to be able to allow me to connect to interesting people like Carl Swanepoel. He's actually the CEO and creator behind Revelancer, um, young guy, complete millennial, started his first business at 13, uh, a collaborative uh, platform that he would eventually sell for a profit. And he's done it again with this platform, Revelancer. Although I'm not, I was not as familiar with this particular platform prior but it is a way to actually, it's different than Fiverr, where you sign up for free and then you basically match your, can match your skill set with the needs of someone else. Revelancer just acts as a, go, a free go-between platform. Um, it seems like it's free, completely free right now. Somehow on the back end for continued services and for more um, advanced services, they've decided that they would monetize it. I'm more interested in how you get financing for uh, something that is so free. Um, for freelancers, it allows you to not have so many upfront costs um, to get established with graphic design, uh, coding, etc., on the front end, and you don't pay them a fee. I mean, it is completely free, y'all. Navigate to revlancer.com, check it out, get signed up, um, and then let me know how it goes. But in our conversation, he introduces the audience to this revolutionary platform for freelancers, and I think you'll enjoy first this part as far as part one, um, which has been edited for time, and, and I will continue it next week um, in the rest of it for completion, um, so you'll get a better understanding of this service. And here he is, the youngest boss I've met in a very long time, Carl Swanepoel. Welcome to another episode of Tempro is Reading, and I have the pleasure um, to have as a guest on my show um, Carl Swanepoel. Um, Carl, would you like, can you introduce yourself to my audience? Sure, thanks for having me. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm also a freelancer and I built a freelancing platform called Revelancer. And our long-term goal is to give freedom back to freelancers and really improve this whole industry for the better. If that's a great lead in, 
explain to the listening audience what Revelancer is and what, and also when you say freelance, is that creative, podcast, finance, or is it a combination of things? Sure. So it's a combination of things. Um, it's it's a kind of anything that can be done remotely and will benefit a small business is what we allow on the platform. Um, and essentially on the platform, freelancers can showcase their work, they can connect with clients, um, and they can also exchange skills with other freelancers, um, which is something that not, not many platforms offer. Um, and it's completely free to, to join as well. At the moment, we aren't charging for, for anything at all. Um, so yeah, it's um, quite, quite a good experience. Um, that business model where you don't charge <laughs> is, is very interesting to me because it looks like you had a successful round uh, financing through venture capital. Am I mistaken? Aren't there like certain things like uh, KPIs, et cetera, that you have to get financing? So how does anybody make money? And except for the exchange of skills, is there a back end um, once the, if the project is complete, can you explain that to me? Because free, I don't understand free. I don't really understand free. Of it all. Yeah, so so essentially the idea is to grow as fast as possible and then basically to learn as many things as possible. So it's a no like to learn what exactly people find valuable about the platform and what people are, are willing to maybe down the line pay for. But in order to, um, you know, actually grow effectively, um, you know, the second you start putting a paywall up, you're going to, you know, the vast majority of people who see it will, will drop off and then Ultimately, you're not really creating a, a big impact if you're trying to kind of cash in too early. Um, so yeah, I mean, eventually, essentially, we're increasing the value of the company by um, growing the the user base faster, learning more from from that user base, um, and, and ultimately, that's you know what our funders are looking for as well. Exactly, and also, um, how long, in your experience, having a free platform, how long will it actually take? to basically, or how much or time are the financiers willing to take? Because people will do free and milk that for as long as possible. But, and as you said, once you put up the paywall, then the vast majority will drop off. Is there like a time period that you actually give the users before you actually put up the paywall or is that also negotiable? Well, I mean, ultimately it, it'll, it'll be something in the middle. So I'd always like for Revelancer to be free in, in, in some way or another, and, and it absolutely will be as long as I can do something about it. Um, so it's going to be um, free, and then there are going to be certain features that we're going to add in the future, you know, which, which will probably have like a monthly subscription fee, but it's going to be optional. Um, my, my plan is absolutely not to kind of present everyone with a paywall because, you know, then well, uh, suddenly we take a very useful platform that people enjoy using, and then um, probably only, only a fraction of people will actually choose to to pay. So I think some something in the middle makes a, a lot more sense. Then we can really still benefit a large amount of people, but then also for people who are kind of power users of the platform and want to get that bit of extra value um, for, for them to kind of then pay for you know additional optional features. So is it, would you say it's like, the free version of Fiverr, or is this more like, um, kind of like agents, you know, like working for a true freelancer? What, so is it, or somewhere in between? 
Um, I suppose somewhere in between. I, there is quite a big distinction between us and a platform like Fiverr, for example, um, because Fiverr take a commission fee on every transaction, which is 20% to the freelancer and 5% to the client. So, you know, quite a big chunk, in, in my opinion, um, of every transaction, including repeat business. And because of that, they also then stop you from exchanging email address or hopping on a video call. Right communicating off platforms. So um, essentially we don't charge a commission fee, obviously, and, and also we don't try and restrict people's communication because we don't on the position where we have to. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're, we're still a freelancing platform like Fiverr, but our philosophy is very different. And also um, the decrease of monetization makes it, it's very intriguing to me um, because I have worked on Fiverr as a, like a consultant or uh freelancer as well as i've actually gotten services and i'm very much aware of um those transactional fees on the you got they kind of get you on the back end um it was worth it because i've had po very positive experience from a worker as well as from someone that actually got the services so i've i'm lucky um but the what you actually get paid you know is just and you, after you do those fees, it's all, it kind of, and the time that you actually put in, it, it doesn't always, um, there's not like an even playing field. It's very, it, it be, becomes cost prohibitive to be able to use a service like Fiverr. And I think that's why I'm, I'm very intrigued with Revelancer in general. Um, give, can you give us a little bit of history? What made you decide to do this platform and when did the work start when you actually went live? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I guess my, my journey starts quite a while ago. So um, about 10, 11 years ago, I started freelancing when, when I was 13. Um, and I freelanced on a lot of the big platforms, you know, that are still big today. Um, but as quickly, a blogger, as a blogger or creator, um, explain to the audience, because I was like, okay, you started when you were 13 and you've doing, been doing freelance shit. You're so you're basically 24 years old. Yes. Yeah. I recently turned 24. Wow. You are the generation. Holy crap. And you've been in the game for over a decade. Okay. I'm sorry. Butterfly in the sky. I can go twice as high. Take a look. It's in a book. A reading tin for I can go anywhere. Friends to know, ways to grow. A reading tin A reading tin a reading tin tin So what am I reading this week? I'm still continuing um, my All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson. And what really strikes me is Number one, I get to get back to my first love and the reason why I created the podcast. I not only get to read great books, I also get to suggest those books to others. And I've added, with the help of the book review from the New York Times Sunday edition, I've added several books to my uh, 
online bookstore far from Bill Street in homage to the famous Bill Street in Memphis. So, but he, there's a quote in um, chapter three, at the end of chapter three, where he basically says his fake closed-lipped smile because in the previous part of the book, he talks about as a five-year-old and he got his teeth kicked in by a bully or kicked out by a bully. It, as a child, he used that fake smile to hide the pain and his inability to just be himself. He started wearing a mask at an early age. It would cover his face so no one could really see who he was. His parents, he didn't blame them for anything. He just pointed out that raising a black queer child in a place like America that made it still very dangerous just to be black, a black male in fact, was already hard, but they raised him with understanding and they guided him the best way that they could. He always never had to guess at their love. They actually showed it in their support of him. Just to fight to exist as authentically, as your authentically self, he basically did it. This was like a literary, literary transition. They said this book is a series of essays but it goes from as he was a child, he was queer, to transitioning to the non-binary as they are is something to be read. And it's very enjoyable. I actually will have that quote and links to the book um, for your perusal um, in the extended podcast notes. I also, as I mentioned before, have made some great additions to uh, my online bookstore, Elliot Page book, um, I think is probably going to end up on the banned book list, Page Boy. I couldn't remember who he was. Was she, was he Eleanor Page? It was that she was, he was the main character as a she in Juno. Uh, came on the scene, was billed as a young starlet, um, basically came out as gay, but it was a lot more than that because he is a, a trans male and basically he, re he relates in Page Boy, I believe, his transitioning probably from the mastectomies, the gender affirming top surgery. I wonder if he has had bottom surgery um, and the reaction to it in Hollywood. So I can't imagine that. Parents from Canada, mother became his greatest champion and helped guide him through his uh, transition. Um, there's also attacks um, and also just so many things that the fight for him to be his authentic self through surgeries, through acceptance, through defending himself. It's, to me, it's one of those things that, how the, how in society we put up so many um, just horrible, horrible things um, for people to have to deal with just to live in safety and to just live and to exist. 
that to me is something that I'm, me being my born cisgendered self, I can't even imagine. I also have added, what is this other book? How someone relays their struggle through themselves. And I didn't understand until I read this uh, review in the New York Times about the history of Philippines. I did know that it was a um, Spanish colony for 300 years, but what I didn't know that they, right before they would try to declare their independence, Spain sold the Philippines to us for 20 mil. And this all is related in the new book by Gina Apostle La Tessera. She says her life, like all Filipinos, is a constant act of translation. From, it goes from Spanish to Tagalog. There's over 200 languages that spoke in this archipelago, which is like a collection of islands. Um, and they had to get through all of that to get Spanish to English. Uh, Japanese, when they were um, occupied by Japan during World War II. So that is, um, it's just a book of how your culture is translated and how it appears and is it translation or assimilation? It's up to you to judge. I also add um, the newest book, The American Family. Um, this is about um, a nod to Tupac Shakur and his family in the uh, Black Panther, Black uh, um, movement. An American family, the Shakurs and the nation they created. Um, his, um, one of the best known, he's sick and he's still, re I don't know if he's really dead or not because he releases an album every couple of years, but it, that's just lend a nod to his body of work. It appears that his mother still owns the masters. But anywho, he, in his one, one of the most landmark interviews with, I think it was MTV back in the, right before he passed away, he, they said he was desperate for transformation but didn't have a plan to achieve it. He says, I'm not saying I'm gonna rule the world or I'm gonna change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the brain that will change the world and that's our job, to spark somebody else watching us. I'm gonna have to find that and quote, figure out how to, Add that to my um, podcast notes. Also, they sometimes you got these reviewers are a trip, um, but this one quote: "Holly walks a difficult line between recognizing the courage of the cause and describing the grim tactics and behaviors of the book central players." I'm sure, but black, but the rage that was is within and how that translated into a movie or a movement is something to be told. And I'm thinking this is probably one of those books that tried and tried valiantly and made a great, and should get an A for great effort. I'm just saying. So what is going on in culture and the zeitgeist? As I was stating in previous sections, one of my favorite pastimes is reading everything, but in particular, the Sunday New York Times. For like 
the better part of this past decade, I've been getting either going to Barnes and Noble when there was still a freestanding store, on into um, getting it delivered to my house. The Sunday New York Times has been um, since, oh man, since uh, Sex in the City has gone off the air. I have enjoyed this uh, pastime for a number of years. $40 a month is not such a bad price to pay for um, the gray lady. But even with this venerable newspaper, they think they're slick on so many, um, in so many ways. For example, they would have you believe or have me believing, and I guess I didn't check the Michigan News or reliable or a different reliable Michigan news source, but 10 years ago, Detroit was one of the first large cities to declare bankruptcy. They had us thinking that the city was auctioning off the fine art in the museums. The population had dipped from a high of 7 million down to less than half a million. There was no tax base and blah, 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 blah. And it made it seem that most of the city had been abandoned and was decaying. This was years of mismanagement um, and outflux of most of the citizen with any type of wage to the suburbs and to other states. Probably Michigan is cold as hell. Even with global warming, it still gets cold at AF there. But anyways, there's a pocket of people that never left, and there has been pockets of change and upward mobility still in existence in Michigan. See, in one part of the paper, the business, they were talking about the restoration of services and even uh, derelict building inspections, et cetera. And it's a gold mine in Michigan. It's kind of like Chicago went, they called that the second city went through this rebirth when all of the meatpacking left and the industry left and they start redlining and et cetera, et cetera. The same thing happened with Detroit back in the mid to late sixties with all the social unrest, the result of the civil unrest and the civil rights movement was a string of black mayors that basically, if you hear the white folks tell it, ran the city into the ground, built the city out of a lot of money. But Michigan is now going through a renaissance, but there are a group of people, upwardly mobile African-Americans that have always stayed. What am I getting to? Um, then I read, flip over to the arts and leisure section, and there's a three-page spread about the Black Cotillion. It's been, the Deb, the Cotillion Society of Detroit Educational Foundation revived the Cotillions back in 2009. These are for the rich and upwardly mobile. The Cotillion uh, tradition was based out of a uh, white tradition and then we had our shoot off because of racism and white supremacy. 
where it was a way that the girls would come out and make and they would become eligible to get married. They have since revamped it to basically um, launching pad for a girl's academic and professional ambition, a place where you can be welcome in all spaces and be the can, and it's okay to be the smartest person in the room. 30 of the women, young women have gone through this process for this year, the uh, stage for 2023. And I said, well, this is perfect. This is a tradition because it was what, 10 years ago? So that would be 2013. This was, they restarted this tradition a few years before the city went bankrupt and they've continued it. <clears throat> I don't know, excuse me. I don't know if it continued during COVID, but it definitely continued uh, for the last couple of years. And this is a multi-million dollar endeavor. The application fee, all the accoutrement, the dresses, dresser dresses, the tiaras, the gloves, the shoes, the lessons, all of these things culminating into a ball celebrating what they, these women are uh, future leaders. First, I, when I looked at it, I was like, why are they having this antiquated BS? But then I say in a city that really never, that you would, that we were almost led to believe that they were, it was dying. This is where the continuation of this renaissance that Detroit is seeing now is in a revamped tradition. This is possibility of leaders uh, revamping the whole Henry Ford uh, healthcare system, taking over the Arts Council bringing other industry besides the auto industry back to Detroit to continue it into the next century. And I'm here for it. I'm hopeful that we'll have follow-up repeats of this in subsequent um, editions of the paper and just figuring out where this class is going to end up in the next two to three years, whether they're going to be the next stage of influencers and they're going to be the next pocket uh, well or pool of where we're going to see these future leaders and other aspects, not just in Detroit, but making a, a rebirth renaissance once we fall back or we evolve from this conservative uh, backswing. This is how we're going to make America great again with uh, revamped traditions people that look like us and understanding and we're going to have a safe place. Huh. We're going to need it because they're rolling back everything. We're going to need more safe spaces like this to, for encouragement for the young people. That's just me. The Shade Bunch, the Shade Bunch, I hope turning up for checks to pay for fake lifestyles were to be a part of the Shady Bunch. So I'm all for celebrities leaving us out of the group chat. And this Darius dude who we only know as Dro's brother from Insecure, a fictional black series 
by the great Issa Rae and also only known as Kiki Palmer's baby daddy, Leo's baby daddy. I just can't. He, instead of him just calling her, okay, let me back up. The latest in this saga, evidently Gro's little brother got on the Twitter after it went viral that one Kiki Palmer of Akila the Bee and Kiki, and who is known for Kiki, Kiki Job, not even 24 hours after she said how much she loved his fuckboy ass and goes for a girl's night out looking amazing from what I understand to the Ursha show. And Ursha does what Ursha does, brings her up on stage. They have a really... uh cool moment not in, in all disrespectful but the problem is girlfriend is single she already confessed her love to you nobody knows you bro you may be a chump supporter for all we know you may be a little herman incarnate the dude that decried covid and then went to a super spreader event trump stupid and died we think you on that kind of crazy tip and you take to Twitter that her and her, because she is a mother, she's a grown woman now, beautiful, you basically went in on her and your insecurities like you ain't got no damn sense. And all it would have taken is a text um, after you calm down and get, you know, can we have a talk, personal, you make it so unpersonal and go to the Twitters and go to the Instagram and reveal just how crazy and insecure you are. Again, please leave us, the general public, off the group text. We don't need to see this crazy ass boy. Just go on home somewhere and enjoy the love of a woman who decried her love to you instead of wallowing in your insecurities like a little fuckboy bitch. Therein is the problem. And furthermore, <laughs> there's also a problem sincerely in the writing room of, and just like that, this is what I forgot that I was supposed to do. When did, and just like that, rap? It premiered back the new at the new season premiered in 2023 it filmed up through the beginning it must have wrapped in january 2023 kim control was announced not too long after that um as coming back on the last episode so i suspect it would has been renewed for a third season but I'm not sure about what the ratings are from this season because there's so many problems with the story arc of the main characters of this show. And just like that is the revamp of the critically acclaimed Sex in the City. Two lackluster movies. Well, I like both of the movies. I think for whatever reason, I thought the second one was better than the first one, although the fashion was booming on both of them. 
I basically liked Sex in the City, and I've watched it multiple times. And you can't tell me anything. Sarah Jessica Parker has an eating disorder. However, the only one person that has a consistent story arc based on her previous Carrie Bradshaw character is Sarah Jessica Parker. I am, this last episode, I don't know. It's so bad, y'all, that I don't know if I'm going to make it to the last episode where Samantha comes back, which they've alluded to, which Kim Cattrall and the show has alluded to. And the great trip out is there was such a break between her and Sarah Jessica Parker. Everybody is demanding that she come back. But I only suspect that it's Sarah Jessica Parker's SJC, SJP was such, she thinks, oh, it's my show and y'all should bow down to me. And Kim Cattrall was like, nah, son, this is what we're not going to do. That the show itself, they could have gone on if Sarah Jessica Parker wasn't so demanding, I honestly think. And since the writing seems to be geared towards her, I wonder if she's writing. Is she more like a, um, let me see if I can find this out on their wiki. Sometimes they um, have the episodes and not just written by. So season one was mostly Michael Patrick Ping. And then this last episode, Trick or Treat, Samantha Irby and Lucas Froelich. Who is she? Because I find it all, ooh, and she is black. Is she a they? What? In her blog, bitches gotta eat. <laughs> bitches gotta eat. Wow. She has Crohn's disease, her sex life. Dang, I want to hear more about that. Kirsten Jennings. They both now they live in Michigan. Maybe that's what it is. It's just too. Oh, this makes me so annoyed that she is black because that was going to be what my problem was. Maybe it lost itself in, or maybe she's just so disconnected because I don't know if the editing is what made it so bad. It just was such a stupid story arc. Maybe because Che, I don't know if she's Native American or Mexican American, but, or like Latino, but maybe they needed someone like her that is from that ilk, who's also either non-binary, but this character, black woman is gay. It just didn't land. It's because Miranda is forcing a relationship with her jump off, meaning, 
Miranda was so bored with her lackluster relationship with Steve, Matt Che at that down point of her when she was having some type of midlife crisis and wasn't dyeing her hair anymore. And she met Che, who basically got caught up in the idea of being in a relationship, but she doesn't want to be in a relationship. She likes her status as a fuckbag. Maybe they should have taken a page out of Samantha's book. Remember, y'all remember when Samantha uh, was dating that, also dating another creative, the artist with a girl with the long hair, and they ended up, and she was like gay for just a couple of months, and then she went back. That's when be what she was before we knew what fluid was. Samantha, the sexual uh, trailblazer. But anyways, but when it was good, it was good. When it was bad, it was bad. She doesn't want to talk about a whole bunch of shit. She just wanted her to jump off. And Samantha was the wrong person. But I think they're trying to make this story arc about showing Samantha, uh, Miranda, thirsty AF, crazy AF. And she has not realized, because we need to wrap this up in half an episode or less, she realized her mistake that she thinks her one night stand is really a relationship. And you can't be in a relationship with a person that doesn't want to be in a relationship because they're trying to really either establish themselves and trying to get ahead as non-binary. She's not built and she doesn't need to be in that fight. When she figures it out and she wants to look you up once she's done the work, fine. But we can't have you out here looking crazy because it's getting on our nerves. We expect more from the Harvard, I think she went to Harvard, or Yale graduate lawyer that she is. Why is she slapping back and forth trying to force a relationship with this child when she obviously doesn't want her to be? Either you need to, if you have burned through all of your savings from your time as a partner in your law firm, you need to basically sell that brownstone your son needs to be in school anyways, or he needs to be on his own. He don't listen to you anyways. Split up the proceeds, and you need to go on your happily married way. And come to Manhattan, um, move down the hall from Cary, or get your old, or buy your old apartment back. But this BS that you're trying to basically, because of your own white fragility and white guilt, is not working for this story arc because you're looking crazy AF right now. Realize the mistake, do the work, and move the freak on. I don't know about the story arc with me. I think her name is Nina and Ari's character. It's not cohesive. Simi's not cohesive. I don't know what they're doing with that whole Ralph Lauren modeling um, and what's her name? Harry and she looks, she favors Grace Kelly. I don't understand any of the story arc. I, the only reason why they can bring life back is build it around Seema and Nina. That would make it more cohesive. And then you can bring Samantha back. But there's a whole bunch of the story arc that is not making sense to me. It's pissing me off. And it's making me not want to watch this show because it's so awful. I came for the fashion, and even the fashion was not on fleek this time. 
except I did see Anthony get his life at the uh, Halloween party. I thought that was dope. It's like when they focus in on the music and on the fun, it is really fun. But they're, tr I don't know. It's, I know people in the real world goes about this reality when you're, why can't, would it be interesting or would it be too much of a push that, because technically didn't she cheat on Steve? And how do really people that come out work? Are they just, can they go, can you go the, the bitter part and she could get dinged because she is shacked up with a woman or same, she's in a same sex relationship? Is that too much? Or what if Miranda goes full on, you know, going for hers and having her own midlife sexual revolution or being in polyamorous and it being believable? And all she lives for is a good lay and great clothes. Why can't that be her stick instead of this thirsty, frumpy, middle-aged white lady, crunchy eating, because there's no balance. I had hopes seeing who the writer was, who is from the LBTQ uh, plus community. She's married and she has a wife and she is a woman of color. But the way they are writing the, this script or the way the story arc is reading is not reading cohesive. It's reading boring and we're tired. I could see Che and Miranda screwing their way through the lesbian community in New York and the Reed uh, Crystal being a part of that, schooling Miranda in her and her thirst, and then having her own sexual revolution, and then at the end, finding their way back to each other when Samantha comes back, because they're doing it all wrong. This, it, would, it could be such, just because you have gray hair, not just in your head, but in your crouch, that you can't also be sexually um, liberated and just have a sexual exploration and don't, and you still don't get AIDS or some other type of sexual transmitted disease. That could be another thing. She could be screwing around with both and then get PID and how you recover from that, or that's what slows her down. And that's where Samantha comes back into town and helps nurse her and talk about her scares because they actually had something when you remember when Samantha had that scare when she got the HIV test. That was hilarious. And they could have great fashion. I don't understand why they don't have great fashion and it's also very boring. This should be, they, they need to be shot for that BS. Who is the stylist for the show now? It's like they fired all the stylists and the writers, girl. Bye. So this is the problem with The Real Housewife and other on reality TV. A few days ago, TMZ and now Page Six and other reality TV, the urban bloggers in ways, have been talking about 
a fight that broke out between one of Candian's Dillard Bassett's friends and Sesame Street, the Ashley bitch. And I still have not gotten a clear indication what happened. I don't know if Sesame Street threw a drink in Candian's face um, and then her friend jumped in and then Sesame Street got dragged. Somebody went to the hospital. I just am tired of them playing in our faces because I have seen people get buck. We've seen three, four, five, six different attacks between Potomac and between Real Housewives of Atlanta. The most infamous one is when Portia dragged Kenya. She immediately got up, got, Portia got carried off the stage. Kenya got up and walked, had been talking big shit prior to that, and then got dragged. And then they made it a storyline repeatedly pointing to Portia's inability to control her anger and I can't and we see we've seen all of this it's played out we've gotten all of this Nene attacking what's her face the blonde with the the monkey in a wig that's funny but Kim Kim's Oziat and yet they fired Monique Samuels. I still have a problem with that because I think Monique Samuels, for all of her, uh, she was just too perfect. She made great TV, um, but I think behind the scenes, she was, it was such powerful. She wanted, she knew what her image was. She wanted to, she was kind of like Tootie. She was like, I, this is in addition to, and y'all need to film around my actual life. And she, I don't think she was as compliant and was willing to bend to the production schedule and the beat sheet. That's not who she was. She wanted to be a boss and she wanted, and I think her demands were beyond what was going to be tolerated. I think Giselle and Robin, the true shady bunch, but they were, they could, they make their, they had the charisma and they had the good looks where they were actually like Monique Samuels. I don't think Monique Samuels gave a F if they liked her or not. And she wasn't going to do what it was to be likable. And she definitely was not going to play down stupid. And she, and that's what made her, that energy they were not willing to tolerate. And that's why she ended up getting fired. And now we got the same thing, the same people instigating stuff. Cause I think Candy seemed to be in some mess a lot. And I'm wondering, number one, I don't understand why Sesame Street is even a part of the narrative. I don't think she lives in Potomac because Ashley doesn't live in Potomac anymore. She's one of those messy friends of the show that is just getting her storyline because she doesn't get paid unless she's in the scene. And that fight is a way to get in a scene. 
And someone that is willing to do that is going to have some problems with. I don't understand why she, Sesame Street, is on part of the Potomac. The only thing is, if it gives Ashley a storyline, because she her divorce is final and she messed up her bad girl, bye. Also, aside from if you're going to have better wigs and fashion, you need some other store. You can't have an improvement in the wardrobe and still be boring. I don't still don't understand why Margot is on the show. She's she's never been a wife. She's been a girlfriend, and she has not had anybody on the show until she started had gone out on the one date that we were privy to with the chef. I'm glad I watched the after show. I'm probably going to end up watching it again because they dropped some gems. Because it looks like that show was taped after the show wrapped and Drew has all, was already filed from divorce from Ralph. And it is obvious in their interaction in the interview style that I, besides Candy, maybe Sonya, and maybe Kenya, I don't think any of these girls actually hang out offset except for being directly filmed by the show. And I can't even say uh, between Candy, Sonya, Monetta, and maybe Shamia, I honestly don't think any of them are as tight as the previous relationship like Cynthia, Candy, even when Nene was on the show when she was on her medication and she was stable. Y'all ain't telling me nothing. That lady has some type of personality or borderline disorder. I'm just saying. But you can tell when she's really even kill and when you can tell she's off kilter. It's just like she, the celebrity of it all and what people started tuning in for is too much for her to deal with. So she goes off the deep end and that's when she gets sat down from the show. She's now, it seems like Nene is going to be formally off um, for a while because she sued and had that big um, lawsuit um, in 2022, maybe 20, yeah, 2022, um, alleging racism for the network. So I don't know. I don't understand Drew's, I don't understand the most divisive bone carrier trying to do some healing and it's all a sham is Sheree. They're in Portugal now, and I'm glad they are. It seems like they've had some really good, um, the Real Housewife franchise, that is, has had some really good times in Portugal. I wish they would discover Puncha. Um, I, I just, and I did not know. See, this is what you get. The after show got tidbits in it with this episode of the confiscation conversation. Meaning, she by Sheree debuted on the show last season, and she gave Andy a bag and a T-shirt, and they all were supposed to get stuff. But all that stuff was allegedly taken back. And then Sheree had the audacity to say that um, Candy was lying, and they why can't they go to her website, which 
to my knowledge, still wasn't working or they still are out of stock on stuff. And they just mad because she, it doesn't seem like Sheree has any follow through. And Candy told her years ago, she has the most noticeable brand and has not done anything consistently with it. It's been 14 years since she started talking about it. And all we've gotten, there was a hat and somebody got a sweatshirt and, and Andy got a bag. But other than that, I don't know. So, and then she, it seems like it's just haterism. Everything that Candy from tags to OLG to her dungeon show, um, to even to um, what's this? It's Ace's little boy, Blaze. To Blaze the Steakhouse, even in spite of the shooting, has been successful. Sheree has not succeeded in having that level of success, continuous level of success. She alluded to she had her own shop for a minute, but it has since closed. She had that book that's now 99 cents on Amazon. She's and then she has she by Sheree finally had a fashion show with fashion and we're still but it's still not on the level of success as any of Candy's endeavors. So I think there's a lot of jealousy and player haterism with that. Also, Drew in her actress ass did not know she got cast in the show in Todd's show. And it also has come out that she messing around with Ty Young of the Atlanta Dreams, of the Love and Hip Hop Atlanta, um, what's his name? Oh gosh, Stevie J's ex-girlfriend. Her boo. And I do, y'all do remember when Bolo and the uh, South Carolina turn up where Kenya was mad because uh, Latoya messed around with Portia. Evidently, Ralph is not the issue and the Fidelity's not just the issue with Ralph. Also, Drew may be getting it on with Ty Young, y'all. Girl, I can't. It's, at least she got some type of salacious storyline and I hate that for her. She, in the end of her marriage, evidently the after show was taped after they, she, they had filed. So there have to be certain tidbits that are going to drop. And if that scene from Todd's show is any indication about what is to come, I may have to continue to tune in. It was a big question mark on Potomac. I'm only watching, um, getting caught up on uh, reunions for the other uh, the other shows. I was, which one did I leave off of? I don't remember if it's OC or, I know I watched the reunion in New Jersey. I may have to watch this last season of um, New York because it looks like they have revamped it. But I think they have, a bunch of turn-up queens, much younger. They all look like supermodels. I'm wondering how much, how many of them are faking it. How many, how close are they to divorce? 
and to a case with the IRNS. That is the only reason why I'm going to probably tune into Real Housewives of New York. OC, mm, Beverly Hills, mm, they can have all of those for real, for real. Maybe it was Beverly Hills I was watching. The reunion specials. I don't know. But we shall see. But unlike and just like that, I'm probably going to continue to not necessarily hate watch Real Housewives of Atlanta um, because it's coming. This last episode actually wasn't too bad, and I want to see what's going to go down in Portugal, if anything. Or they're going to have like a when they went to the Philippines and how good that trip was. But as Sheree going there for healing and alternative methods, she's still, she, her old ass, she just need to go ahead and get a hysterectomy. Myomectomy, she is correct. They can't come back. And if you're not planning on having any kids, go ahead and get a potential source of sarcoma, uterine cancer, or ovarian cancer taken care of. Get the patch because you look like, you seem like you need some hormone imbalance anyways, and keep it pushing. I'm just saying. And that's it for this episode of Tenfro is Reading. You know, I talked cash-ish all last year. I hope the listening audience will continue to enjoy my opinion and not so subtle shade. I mean, I'm 2,000 listeners per episode in, so go run tell that haters. I may take it on the road if I get hint hint sponsorship. Navigate to dalesangelsinc.blog for swag and extended podcast notes. Don't forget to hit like or leave a five-star review. It gets me on top of the algorithms and it may just get you on my show. 2023's motto is boss up and get the bag. And as always, tell a friend and thank you for listening.